Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs. Welcome to The Great America Show. Today, we're talking politics, but not the usual kind, but politics nonetheless, politics of the proximate and personal kind, the kind that can have life and death consequences. Today, we're talking about all the conflicting reports and points of view about COVID. That's right. There's another scare storm on the way to this country, to media near you, brought to you by taxpayer dollars to persuade you and me, all of us, to get the jab. Do we want to do that? Maybe as much as a shot every two months, we'll be taking up important questions like that. How virulent is the coming of the next viral variant? How worried should we be? And do the messenger RNA vaccines work as advertised? Do they work at all? Do they prevent COVID? Do they make it less deadly and debilitating or anything at all? And of course, there is the view that the vaccine is actually a factor in worse fatality rates and hospitalizations. Is it really a good idea to vaccinate six-month-old babies? Who needs the vaccine and who doesn't? Our guest today is the prominent physician, biochemist, mRNA scientist, immunologist, Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Malone's research has been called seminal in the development of mRNA vaccines. Well, Dr. Robert Malone is not an anti-vaxxer by any definition or at all. He is an outspoken COVID vaccine skeptic and critic. Just a few days ago, Twitter, which mercifully is now under new management, as they say, reinstated Dr. Malone's account with our thanks to Elon Musk. Twitter banned him almost a year ago for spreading what Twitter called then misleading information, potentially harmful information. That is, Dr. Malone had the temerity to inform and caution the American people about the risks and dangers of taking the mRNA vaccines, in particular, vaccines made by Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna. I know a lot of people have a lot of questions right now about the threat posed by another wave of COVID, while hospitals already in some parts of the country are filling up because of this year's flu epidemic and the spread of RSVP, a respiratory virus, which is slowing. And our guest today to take up all of this, to deal with all of these important questions and concerns we see and hear expressed every day, is Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Malone, great to have you back with us here on The Great America Show. Welcome. So now, all across the country, people are being told that the mother of all COVIDs could be on the way to ready your mass, move to an appropriate distance from all other life forms, boost your boosters and do so in perpetuity. Prepare for lockdown, shut-ins, quarantines, and 24-7 defenses against our fears of all kinds. So that's the hyperbole. We all hope it's hyperbole. Dr. Malone, how concerned should we really be about this new iteration of the COVID virus? Okay, so uh, absolutely, we have been subjected to three years of chronic uh, 
um, uh, fear porn and information warfare uh, to serve a variety of interests. It's hard to disambiguate exactly what they are. Um, long ago, it seems like forever, I had mentioned in various podcasts that the general arc of what happens when a new pathogen, especially a viral pathogen, especially a RNA respiratory virus pathogen, enters the global human population. And the tendency is when it jumps from another species or from a laboratory, uh, in so it's a novel pathogen, it enters the human population. In general, what happens is that it will go through an evolutionary process fairly rapidly and typically become less pathogenic and more highly infectious. And uh, the alternative hypothesis has been that that Gert von Nebusche has promoted uh, appropriately. I'm not criticizing him in any way, but uh, there, there's always the risk in virology and public health that a virus could take a different path and evolve to become more pathogenic. The good news is that it looks like this thing is on track as I had originally hoped it would be. And we are getting agents which are more highly infectious and less pathogenic. So uh, we absolutely have uh, clear indications that the virus has evolved to escape the immune response elicited by the uh, vaccine products. And uh, I you know, I hesitate to call them vaccines, whatever you want to call them, uh, the jabs. Uh, and it also has evaded all, virtually all of the monoclonal antibody produ products that were generated here in the United States for the American population. And those have all been basically withdrawn because they're no longer effective. Wow. So that teaches us a lot about monoclonal antibodies and uh, respiratory viruses. Uh, but I, I think that um, uh, it's, you know, the, the administration has, has yet again spun up another kind of dark winter uh, ominous foreboding uh, storyline uh, go get your vaccines, et cetera. Remember that they've uh, appropriated uh, without congressional authorization. They have essentially reappropriated HHS funds to the tune of about $475 million to promote the bivalent vaccines, which depending on which study you look at only 11 to 14% of the population have accepted. Uh, and they're very frustrated because we're not all willing sheep. Uh, and we think, so many of us are thinking for ourselves, even Tony Fauci was on record during his, uh, um, you know, last pass at the DC press tour a couple weekends ago, expressing frustration that um, his opponents seem to be winning uh, as, as measured by the unwillingness of the population to take the products, uh, particularly these bivalent boosters and uh, the jabs for kids. So that's where it's at. I think we've now been through two dark winter forecasts from the president of the United States, um, particularly last year. As I remember, he was predicting widespread death in the unvaccinated. Um, uh, I'm very glad that that prediction did not come to pass. Uh, we all are. We all I, are. Hope, I hope he is glad, too. Uh, um, 
that that those dark warnings did not manifest. They may not have been politically useful that that didn't happen, but I I picked it up in Mexico City. Um, I've heard the cough all over the world as I've traveled. Uh, I heard it in Istanbul. Uh, there's something that's that's circulating. It doesn't appear to be COVID. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's not killing people. So I think we can all uh, tell Jake Tapper and uh, his buddies at CNN <laughs> to go pound sand uh, and and uh, um, let's hope that they get a, a pink slip before Christmas, I guess. is uh, Not that I have anything personal against Jake and his family, but I am a little tired of, of his uh, fear porn business model. Well, he is... Uh... He's fundamentally a uh, a left wing activist. He is a uh, he comes from the Marxist dim school uh, of uh, broadcasting. That is, he, he was working for the Democrats in the open before uh, he began working for them. And I think the he's a member of the he's CNN has got this amazing squad of members of the Council of Foreign Relations. Right. And he's one of them. Well, uh, there's a lot of that in in the national media. The CFR is, of course, their refuge from reality uh, when they want to talk geopolitics. Uh, it's it's really quite an organization uh, funded to the hilt by corporate the, the corporatists, uh, driven by uh, left wing politics and a neoliberal world order view. So there you are. Whoever's in I, it, I would love Lou. If anytime you want to riff on that. Uh, give me a call because I think uh, we could all learn a lot from you. You've been around the this business a long time, and you kind of know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> well, I know where some of them are. My my chief task over the years has been to keep mine from being buried. <laughs> uh, but uh, I would be delighted to to do that. Uh, talk with you anytime. Let, let let's in in terms of this this crazy uh, talk coming out again now from Bill Gates. Uh, talking about, as you put it, a viral winter, a COVID winter. Uh, what is the motivation here, and why uh, are we now being bombarded again? I mean, what is the payoff for those who want to create a, a hysteria, at the very least, a motivation uh, for young people to go out and get jabbed, uh, for uh, young, healthy adults uh, to go out and uh, get this vaccine. When I, the guys that I respect, and I'm talking about you, I'm talking about McCullough and so forth, uh, you know, the dissidents, if you will, but uh, the enlightened dissidents who have warned us of what turned out to be the reality for for years now. And here we go again with a... Uh, a disinformation, I'll call it that, a, a disinformation campaign rather than a public health campaign. For a minute there, I thought you were channeling Ronald Reagan. Um, here they go again. Uh, so uh, that's the topic of the book, really, a lies my government told me. And no surprise, the lies keep coming. Uh, the It is really hard for me, having spent a year diving down every rabbit hole I could find to try to make sense of all this. I still um, come to the conclusion that uh, there, this is a multi-faceted uh, agenda. Uh, and um, it's hard to overlook the data suggesting 
and and the documents, the written books about the Great Reset, the Great Narrative, etc., the various writings and presentations coming from uh, Bill Gates's uh, good buddy Klaus Schwab and uh, Harari, his wingman, uh, and uh, the World Health Organization, and uh, all of these other globalist um, cabals that this is about something more than public health. Uh, and um, Mr. Gates is on record um, basically bragging about uh, his return on investment by going into the vaccine business. There was a political story that came out a couple of months ago that uh, disclosed, uh, you know, in Politico, so it was basically the voice of the government, a lot of the adverse events and other aspects and in, in the counterproductive nature of the lockdowns and the masking, etc. cetera. Uh, and uh, I was on Bannon's podcast uh, with Naomi Wolf, and they were really excited because of these disclosures. And I pointed out to them that this had all the hallmarks of a limited hangout and that uh, what it was really doing was setting up this agenda for uh, providing a huge boost in capital as well as power for the World Health Organization. Um, the, there's no question that there is uh, coordination and collusion between HHS and this current White House and the World Health Organization to advance an agenda through the vehicle of the international health regulations to enable uh, Tedros, the director general, to have the power to declare uh, worldwide epidemic emergencies, pandemic emergencies, and once that de declaration is made, to have a series of basically war powers that, in, that vest directly with this globalist organization that's, you know, a branch of the UN, very tied to the World Economic Forum, uh, to give them power. And, and of, China. Or all kinds of, uh, exactly, the CCP. Um, there's no, the, the links between Tedros and the CCP and the links between Tedros and Bill Gates are, as Ben likes to say, in your grill. Uh, they, they just don't care. Uh, you know, whether we know them or not, it's not subtle. So, so I think that uh, you ask, what's the uh, underlying agenda? There is absolutely an underlying agenda of justifying uh, the weaponization of public health for uh, various interests relating to uh, money, power, uh, centralization of control. And remember, the thing that's on the table with the um, international health regulation declarations, which were sidetracked basically by emerging economies, including in Latin America and Africa, uh, what's, what's on the table there is um, a pathway to loss of sovereignty by independent nation states and the, a connection between the World Health Organization and the World Trade Organization. The World Health Organization doesn't have any enforcement authority, but the World Trade Organization can implement sanctions. And that's what's proposed is that if Tedros declares a public health emergency, like for instance, monkeypox, which turned out to be a nothing burger, 
um, and he he declared his advisory committee's vote of nine to six, nine being against uh, declaring it a public a worldwide public health emergency. He declared that a tie that he had to step in and break. Um, that's that's where we're going. This is the kind of person, the kind of politics, the kind of logic, and the you know authoritarian um, uh, kind of totalitarian mindset uh, that. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, Bill Gates and his cronies uh, wish to vest with more money and more power. And, so, and I'm, I am, I am absolutely not convinced that the real agenda is, um, it's that it is public health. I think it is much bigger and deeper than public health. I, I think you're right, and I want to get to to what uh, to an expansion of that view, uh, and see what we can correlate and connect but i also want to go first for the audience's sake uh i'm going to ask you a series of questions about the viral uh, alarms that are are being uh, uh bellowed from washington dc and from new york uh, and the united nations okay so One. short short answer round robin i'll do my best you got it uh is there any reason in your judgment convincing persuasive medical reason for people to be uh, jabbing six-month-old babies absolutely not uh, the risk benefit is completely upside down anyone five years or younger nope once again i mean you can go all the way up the ladder we, we, that's that's what group, I'm going to do. My group made that determination back, I think it was in August, in our Declaration 4 from the Global COVID Summit, that these products should be withdrawn from the market. They're neither safe nor effective. Over. 12 years or younger. No. This, there's especially in males. And why is that? Because they're far more susceptible to the uh, myocarditis effects and the lasting cardiac damage that, that accrues from that. And I, I'm going to go that now. At, at what age should a person, in your judgment, absolutely get a jab? If we're talking about the uh, genetic vaccines for COVID. Right. Um, I just wanted to declare, you know, make that Pfizer. Uh, there, there is no uh, Moderna. There is no age cohort for which the risks um, are less than the benefits. In other words, the risk-benefit ratio is upside down in all age cohorts, and the data, even from our own CDC, is now clear. The reason why they are <clears throat> trying to uh, entice people to take the quote, booster jab every two months, because that's now the government official position, right? So you would get six jabs a year of the booster. Now you're telling it's, me something that I didn't know. Yeah. You're, so you're the CDC says we should get, who should jab, get boosters every jab, two months? Everybody should get jabbed every two months uh, in the uh, licensed uh, age ranges. Um, so these are young adults through the elderly. And the reason is because... Uh, after at two months, well, at administration, there is some apparent benefit to protection against hospitalization and death. But after two months post vaccination, 
the data are clear worldwide and now in the United States that the effectiveness line crosses zero, you get to negative effectiveness, which means that if you've taken the boosters after two months, you're increasingly at higher risk for uh, hospitalization and death if you don't receive yet another booster um, compared to the un, uh, you know, otherwise naturally immune or unvaccinated population. Did that make sense? Uh, I think it does. Uh, let me test it. So what I heard you say is that there is no convincing evidence of benefits uh, that outweigh the risk for, the, for adults uh, taking these boosters after two months. And in fact, the contrary is true. The evidence is that it makes it more likely after two months that you'll be hospitalized or die. And yet it is government, you're saying it's government public health policy, two months for yes. a booster jab, after booster. Jab every two booster. months. And um, of course, each time you take the product, um, you roll the dice again for having the adverse events. Now, what a lot of people uh, point out appropriately is the logic, well, I took the jab and I didn't have any problems, so therefore it can't be anywhere near as bad as you guys are saying it is. There are those who assert that everybody that takes the jab is going to die. That's false. Okay, That's just more fear porn on the other side. So let's throw that one away. It's true that um, your risk of having serious uh, medical complications, grade three adverse events from the jab, is something in the range of one in a thousand to one in 3,000. So for most of us, we go to the roulette table, we spin the thing, there's a thousand slots and the marble doesn't fall into the one that we placed our bet on. However, each time you spin that roulette wheel, it's the same probability. You get um, the same or even greater chance that you'll you'll lose, um, and it'll fall into your slot. And uh, I guess that's not quite the right metaphor in terms of playing roulette, uh, but you get the point. It's like rolling the dice, and every time you roll the dice, you have another chance that you're going to have the problem. I hate the metaphor that some people use of Russian roulette, but if you want to use that, it's like you've got a revolver with a thousand chambers and one bullet. And yeah, most of the time you're not going to blow your head off. Uh, but sometimes uh, it might come around and, and uh, right. at random and, and you hope that you're not that person. Well, as, and we all hope we're never that person, but the, uh, there isn't a clear set of guidelines. And by a clear set of guidelines, I mean promulgated and advertised. Everything is driving one size fits all, go get your vaccination. It's, there is no question, Lou, that our government is compromised. There is no, the, the evidence is overwhelming. And now we have this Rasmussen poll that recently came out, Rasmussen not being known to be a particularly partisan organization, um, that is claiming that something in the range of 20% of all people that have taken the jab have had serious adverse events. And these are people willing to report it to a pollster. And that's in the face of all the propaganda they've been subjected to that causes a lot of people to be completely blind and hypnotized about whether or not whatever they're experiencing, like their heart attack, might have been related to the jab that they took two weeks ago. 
most of the deaths, as I understand it, have been in the population 65 and older. Is that correct? Absolutely. And the average age of death from COVID exceeds, is, is older than the average age of death in the general population. So one of the problems with those data that you're citing is that they are clearly biased. They're biased because, in, among other things, the hospitals have been given financial incentives to, uh, to declare deaths or hospitalization as due to COVID or SARS-CoV-2, even if they're really due to something else and they just happen to have a PCR positive test. I spoke about this on Joe Rogan, and it was controversial at the time, but it's been validated repeatedly since then. There are major financial incentives for overreporting death and disease associated with this virus. That's what and, I was going to ask you. Are those incentives still in place? Absolutely. That, everything I've heard, they, that's the case. And that being the case, what do we know for sure? Should people, at what age, should, okay, first of all, should anyone get the vaccine in no. your judgment? No, it is this, these products are not safe and they are not effective, period, full stop. At any age? At any age. Okay, that is exactly what I was going, I was going to take another slow walk to it, but the, uh, here we are. So with that being the case, why in the world is the CDC, the White House, HHS, uh, I understand what the WHO is doing because of talk about compromise. They're compromised in every way. In fact, they're under the the thumb of Xi Jinping. I think you could make a pretty good case. Uh, why is it our, our our medical community is not responding to the reality they see before them? They're looking at the same data, I presume, that you are uh, and that other doctors uh, who I respect are. Why is the medical community so uh, retrograde in dealing with what is an obvious reality to you and other uh, doctors prominent in your fields uh, telling them? We can't really know what's going on in people's heads and in the heads of the physicians. But what we can do is look at the data and look at the behavior. We can judge them by their actions as you're doing. We're in, a, in and I believe that what we're dealing with is a multifactorial problem. It's not one simple thing. Medical uh, health providers are compromised in multiple ways. Uh, many of them, particularly the physicians and the younger uh, physicians are supporting enormous debt. Uh, they essentially have golden handcuffs. And uh, because of changes in Obamacare in particularly, uh, it has driven most physicians to uh, drop private practice and to join these large hospital-based consortia to a significant extent because the paperwork cost has become enormous under the latest federal statutes. And so they really, it, I was told that it cost about $200,000 for a physician private practice to upgrade to the new requirements necessary to support the Obamacare provisions. So 
Uh, folks have all been kind of forced into working for uh, the big hospital chains and by extension, the insurance companies. Many of these have, uh, uh, they're capitalized in part through significant investments from the big investment firms, you know, the usual State Street, Vanguard, BlackRock, Bank of America, and also by the pharmaceutical industry. The pharmaceutical industry has absolutely bought into the hospital chains and uh, influences them directly. So the, the docs are compromised in their own personal financial situation. They're forced into kind of an indentured servitude with the large hospital chains. The large hospital chains are managed indirectly by the insurance companies and of course by their stockholders or their owners. Um, and also by various public health policies from the United States government. And that loops us back to these perverse incentives. Uh, which were appear to have been granted to the hospitals in part because the lockdown policies would have destroyed them financially because almost all of their profit comes from elective procedures. Then, then you have the fact that the docs were all on the front line of the first ones to take the jab. So for them to come to terms with what they've done, and a few of them have, uh, they kind of have to warp their head around the fact that they probably shouldn't have done what they did initially and come to terms with what they have advised their patients to do. That's a real hard left. A bunch of the docs that have been at the front line of treating have PTSD, particularly those ones from the major urban centers like New York City. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, a whole bunch of things that go into this. Uh, and uh, one of the worst is as time goes by, it's becoming more and more clear that pharma has basically bought out most of the uh, major journals and, uh, you know, and the professional associations have huge economic ties to the pharmaceutical industry that often provides them grants and other forms of subsidies. So it, like I said, it's multifactorial. You on our discussion list had been, talking about a transplant case in a pediatric a child. Um, and there are very close ties between the vaccine part of the pharmaceutical industry and the American Transplant Association, which receives quite a bit of money from them. So again, you know, the power of mammon, a whole lot of financial conflict of interest, and uh, together with these trends that have forced physicians out of primary care into the hands of the large hospital chains. And uh, the hospital chains basically uh, giving the physicians no choice other than to toe the party line uh, for a variety of reasons. And one of those is, frankly, legal coverage. Um, if you work for the big hospital chain and you veer from the approved protocol for treating COVID and your patient dies, um, the hospital chain is liable. And so it's the path of least resistance to just go along with what the government says. And the risks are those, is, is consigned to the patient entirely as a result. When oh, you, absolutely. Sir, when you describe this, uh, big pharma, uh, public health agencies, you have the White House, government, HHS, CDC, and uh, 
the economic forces that work on doctors, uh, all of uh, all of healthcare, really. Uh, you're talking about a system that is so uh, interconnected. I'm going to be kind at first, and then I'm going to be blunt. Uh, they're so interconnected that it's almost impossible for any of them to wiggle free from the system uh, and still be economically viable. In any other straightforward language, that's called a corrupt, a corrupt and uh, ecos uh, ecology you, yeah. that that just is mind-boggling. The corruption also, is so profound that um, I I cannot see. I'm asked all the time. Well, what can we do to fix HHS? For instance, and really the same question goes for Homeland Security. The same question goes for. Um, agriculture department, the same question goes for FAA. All these entities that have dual purpose, dual function, they're all compromised. Um, and it's so deep and broad that it seems like they've completely lost integrity. Our government has lost integrity. And uh, it's hard to see how we get that back without tearing it down to the foundations. Well, you, then you overlay that with a very straightforward ideological reality. The Marxist Dems are driving the Democratic Party. The Marxist Dems control the White House. The Marxist Dems mean to, as Obama promised, fundamentally transform America. We're watching it happen before yeah. our eyes. We don't always recognize it. We always can't see all of the interconnections. But what you've described uh, should scare the the living hell out of anyone, because that means the transformation is so far uh, advanced now. Uh, I I don't know if it. I seriously, I I just don't know if it if we can rectify it. I that's hence the logic of rebuilding um uh locally, uh in uh cells basically, enabling uh physicians to transition back to primary care, um, direct fee-for-service, avoiding the insurance industry, can save you a boatload of money. Uh, I've experienced it myself. Uh, it's, it's hard to shop for medical care. They create all kinds of obstacles to keep that from happening. But um, if you're a, a, a savvy consumer, uh, you can do that and save quite a bit. But it's patchwork now, and somehow we need to expand it, but it has to start somewhere. And I, I like you, I'm, uh, I, I have to struggle to um, imagine uh, the better future coming, as I have in the byline in the book, uh, because of, of what... It's so easy to uncover what we all see now. It's in our face. It's in our grill. Uh, and uh, people speak about the fourth turning, um, the Great Reset, uh, yeah. these, these phrases. But it's you, you can't deny it, and you cannot deny. Well, well whoa, whoa, I can deny it. Uh, I, I, you know, I, well, but I, it's happening. Well, you know, that's, those are interpretations of history and economics and politics that, you know, we don't have the time to go through. But I, I think I could take almost any century 
and look at points uh, that uh, were major shifts, whether it be in a technology foundation yes. that led to societal change that led, we can, we can do all of that. I'm more worried about the conscious determination by elites who have power, wealth, uh, and capacity and uh, the ambition uh, to uh, attack uh, society and our our government structure in this country. We are unique in the world. I believe that attack has been underway for some time. I, I think I'm what with you. I think yeah. what you're describing is representative of just how broad the assault is and yes. how far advanced it is. Uh, and the time to, for slumber is over. Uh, we, we know the Democrat Party is something quite different than what many of the liberal Republicans want to acknowledge, which is it is a force for the destruction of basic values, institutions in this country that will alter the nation forever. Uh, and that also is very advanced. I, I, I'd like to turn, if I may, uh, to, uh, well, I'd like to go back to your point. Why do you bring up this fourth turning and, uh, you know, resets? Uh, what what role does that play in our analysis here? Um, in my path over the last year in writing this book, uh, Lies My Government Told Me, uh, in that of my wife and co-author, Dr. Joe Glasspool Malone. Mm -hmm. um, we've tried to make sense out of, as you are in this program, this broadcast right now, to make sense out of these dysfunctional public health decisions and policies. And the only way that we've been able to uh, have some semblance of sense-making is to recognize that there are multiple agendas being served here and that uh, event 201, uh, this planning session that occurred in uh, the fall of 2019 uh, regarding a novel coronavirus, which seems to have uh, completely anticipated virtually all of the actions of the governments all over the world. And uh, one observes the harmonized uh, propaganda and information warfare campaign that we've all been subjected to, particularly, strangely, these English-speaking nations, uh, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, United States. Uh, when, you, when you look at who it is that's managing those responses and the harmonization between those policies, in every case, there seems to be this common tie of the World Economic Forum and the Young Leaders Training Program. And then you dive into the book of Klaus Schwab, The Great Reset, mm -hmm. and you dive into the uh, economic issues which the central banks were confronting in 2019, which were the same but perhaps worse than existed in 0708 crash, the need to inject capital into the economy. And um, because of COVID, we should we should add no. That was that that's the the need to inject liquidity into the economy existed prior to COVID. Well, now, um, well, if I may say, the need to to drive more capital into the economy resulted from the immediate deterioration of the economy following the arrival of 
COVID nineteen. So, so that's that's that's, that's that, early so twenty, and that's, that's early twenty twenty. That 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 is a topic for uh, that that uh, many would uh, disagree with you on. Many economists. Okay. Uh, I'm um, not. I'm not. I'm not. Ernst, Ernst Wolf in Germany would be one, um, uh-huh. and Ed Dowd would be another, for example, um, yeah. former BlackRock analyst. Well, uh, I think we could probably find a few, but I'll tell you this. There's one reason that we're looking at $9 trillion on the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve and the vast expenditures uh, that were and the inflation. under well, initiated under the Trump administration, uh, and then which move to obviously drive uh, most of the inflation that we've experienced. I know that's not politically uh, uh, apt, uh, that's, Larry, that's, that's the foundation of it. Larry Fink of BlackRock has just mm-hmm. come out and uh, is attempting to campaign the idea that inflation is the consequence of populism. He's yes, trying, to, he's Larry, trying to blame MAGA, MAGA for this. Yeah, I don't care. Larry Fink is also the guy pushing ESG. Exactly. All exactly. The, and that you asked. Glo- so you asked me. Corporate global. Yeah. You, you asked me is, why. Not, why I saying, was. I, but what you're saying is Larry Fink is some sort of authority. He is a salesman and he is driving these ideas which are convenient to him. And in doing so, in league with left-wing government, i.e., the Biden administration and the uh, and the Marxist Dems, and and the CCP and the West. Yes, it is. And people may wonder. So my, my point, my point Yeah, you you asked me um, why I felt the need to go there in terms of these broader agendas. Yeah. And the answer is, I don't think you can comprehend. You you cannot make sense out of the public health response in the COVID crisis without resorting to awareness of these broader agendas that have nothing to do with public health, but which have benefited from the COVID crisis and the response resulting in the most massive upward transfer of wealth in the history of the United States. I, I'm, I'm familiar with it. I've been writing books on this since for 20 years. <laughs> uh, and and the reality is that's where trillions of dollars are still moving from this economy uh, to, the, to communist trans, China. This, yeah, and these transnational organizations in which uh, this is the big, I'm sure you're, you're, you've long been there. We're, we're at the position where capital has become decoupled from nation, state, and geography. And it flows out of nation states to these transnational corporations, these huge funds, uh, of which BlackRock is one, uh, which roam the world seeking return on investment. They have no other purpose than return on investment. They have no ethics. They have no underlying drivers. um, And they find the Chinese model very attractive. They have said so explicitly. And so, and so have they. So is Joe Biden for crying out loud? Exactly. But but no. The re- Joe the- Biden is bloody owned. I mean, let's just be blunt. Um, and and whatever Elon Musk's agenda is, and I don't think it's that he wants to save democracy. Personally, he's a businessman. Um, come on. Uh, but uh, the well, Twitter files are are revealing uh, so many aspects the- of what's been going on. You know, uh, doctor, you, you say that he's a businessman. You, the word almost was spit out of your mouth. There are good businessmen 
and oh, women. But, but my point is, there are, there are yeah. even there are even, and I will hesitate <laughs> to find a name here, but there are even uh, oligarchs who can be positive influences in society should they choose to do so. Too many don't. I take your point. Elon Musk well, is an but, interesting well, What I'm just trying to say about Elon is that um, to attribute to him uh, entirely uh, um, uh, social uh, benefit agenda. He's not an when, altruist. I'll agree with you. He 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 isn't he he's not doing this for altruistic purposes. He has the Twitter was bought to significant part by Middle Eastern money, um, and uh, as you know, uh, uh, you know the golden rule, right? Those are the gold make the rules, and uh, I, there's no way you can get me to uh, Elon is just doing all of this out of the goodness of his heart. No, I'm not, by the way, that isn't what I said at all. Uh, well, let me tell you what, I I, here's what I do believe, if I may. I do believe Elon Musk is the principal voice right now in defense of freedom of speech. Is that in his economic interests? It certainly is. Yeah. Uh, does it take great courage to do so? Uh, I, I mean, it wasn't so many months ago that China uh, served notice on Elon Musk as he was making uh, various comments uh, that, in fact, it was back in October, early October, the state-affiliated media official threatened Elon Musk on Twitter after he weighed in on the Russia-Ukraine war. You remember when he decided it was time to settle that war? Yes. Uh, and, uh, and, and by the way, he was right. <laughs> well, I, I, I have differing views even with him on that. Uh, there, our role in, in that is such a dreadful mess because of Joe Biden, who could have stopped it, could have intervened earlier and, and mediated a solution. No doubt about it. Uh, I think that, you know, it, it's great that he expressed himself and let it, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Uh, the solutions are longstanding and would have begun with if Trump were uh, actually his policies of America first, we wouldn't have been engaged at all. And neither would Ukraine. Precisely. Uh, so uh, so we're, we're talking about a man who's complicated. He is bright as hell. Uh, he is a guy who can land rockets on their tail, and no other American has ever done that, or anyone else in the world, for that matter. Uh, so he deserves some respect, and he is uh, yes, I, he, I agree. he is really doing great things. Uh, he's restoring people who've been blackballed. He is revealing the full extent of the collaboration, the corruption and collaboration between our government and Twitter. Uh, the role of Michelle Obama but, but for Lou, crying out loud. Let, yeah, shut, that, that was let, fascinating. Let me, let, let, let me finish. <laughs> let me finish this. Just this, doctor. And, and to have Michelle Obama be the principal catalyst and agent to shut down the, the president of the United States, which they dutifully uh, and obsequiously did. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I mean, we're looking at rancid corruption within Twitter, as he said. Uh, it, it, it's a business and it's a crime scene. Uh, it's social media and it's a crime scene. And I give him great credit for it. And I think everyone, I'm not suggesting anyone sit there and salute him, but I am saying that clear eyed and uh, fair, uh, fair minded people should be looking to say, this is a man, the world's richest who no longer is, uh, who is doing great things in the interest, uh, the shared interest of free speech. 
and as uh, you know, I'm a person of the media, uh, I, I prize that greatly. And Fair now, enough. your point. Oh, uh, my point is, uh, from my point of view, I'm watchfully waiting. Um, you know, for instance, I'm I'm glad that the disclosures have happened uh, with Matt Taby um, uh, and and others. I'm I'm. Now let me alerted. be clear about that too. Matt Taibbi was handed all of the material from Twitter. From and, it was, and it was and, and, and it was and Barry Weiss as well. They both did Barry, a yeah, Barry job. and and um, Taby received information which uh, Mr. Musk had been unaware had been vetted by Jim Baker. Um, now over the weekend on Sunday, uh, Mr. Musk has invited uh, my colleague Jay Bhattacharya in to evaluate what has happened with the COVID material and the COVID information. And uh, and this time, uh, Jim Baker is no longer uh, in the information loop. So uh, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic, uh, watchfully hopeful, uh, but um, uh, slightly cynical uh, based on everything that I've seen over the last three years. And in particular, and in your case, it's been decades. Uh, so... Um, that's that's all my point about the Twitter yeah. story is it's complex, it's multifaceted, and there are multiple interests at play here, uh, including uh, absolutely the interests of the government. Elon Musk, in a sense, is in a similar position to J. Edgar Hoover or to whoever holds the Epstein Black Book. He's in a position to... Uh, negotiate with the government. Um, and as I recall, it was Janet Yellen that was uh, uh, rattling the saber of antitrust uh, only a week before these disclosures started dropping. So I, I just speculate that um, there are wheels within wheels here that are more complex than certainly I have the ability to disambiguate. And I'm, I'm just carefully watching uh, to to see how this little kabuki passion play moves out, um, because I don't think we're anywhere close to the end game. Oh, I, I could couldn't agree with you more, and that's one of the reasons you're here because you were one of the few people with the knowledge uh, and the courage uh, to speak straightforwardly about what you see uh, from your perspective as a high, uh, as a highly respected uh, uh, medical professional. A uh, physician uh, and researcher. It's now as we look at all of that is unfolding before us. I would just use one word. I don't think you're particularly cynical. I do think that you are uh, uh, bright and skeptical. And Thank you. one of one of the many reasons that I respect you uh, and our and this audience does. But as we look at uh, Elon Musk. Uh, we have to take what we've got in front of us. And right now, what we have in front of us is a man who's making a, a hell of a difference. And, and it's uh, a huge upgrade from where we were at a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, right now, I mean, think about this. Here is a man who is the wealthiest in the world who's suddenly at the center and the pinnacle of the public consciousness, right at the, at the apex because he has now so much knowledge 
uh, and so much power, uh, certainly, that every step he makes, there will be uh, will reverberate throughout uh, our society and, and throughout this throughout country. History. Throughout history. I mean, uh, this we are living through amazing historical times. I mean, look on the bright side. But I'm, of course, reminded of the uh, supposed ancient uh, Chinese um, uh, uh, proverb, uh, may you live in interesting times, uh, right. because we certainly do seem to be. And, and Mr. Musk, uh, you know, I guess another way to look at it is earlier on, we were talking about Mr. Gates. Yep. And uh, compare and contrast. I'll take uh, Mr. Musk hands down on any day. Yeah, you know, I guess I, I well, certainly so would I in personal preference. But think what a rich nation it is. And I mean rich in terms of just the, the variety and the value uh, and the immensity of the talent in this country. We have we have all of these voices suddenly, these oligarchs suddenly, you know, they have pulled back the curtain and they are in directly trying to influence and direct our political system. I mean, you, you name after name after name, whether it's Gates, whether it's Musk, uh, whether it's George Soros, uh, whomever yes. it may be, Ken Griffin. These are becoming household names, and I think that's a wonderful moment of uh, maturation for 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 America, because well we're seeing who is out there pulling strings and pushing buttons and wish and willing and wishing uh, our future. Uh, the system has been able to resist that over time. Uh, I think we can do it again, but it's going to take some people with uh, less patience and more drive. Uh, to make certain that this country does not slip into something less than the great republic it is. Uh, we always give our guests the last word. Dr. Malone, your concluding thoughts today. Um, I think you've just led into it. We desperately need uh, our, your listeners, my followers, all of us, to think for yourself, get educated, understand about fifth generation warfare, understand about propaganda, understand the role of corporate media um, in crafting our belief systems. Learn about fifth generation warfare. You are the battleground. The attempt is to control your thoughts and your emotions. And the best way we can resist that and maintain our sovereignty, our integrity, our freedom is for each of us to get educated and think for yourselves. Don't believe what I say, you know, listen to me, listen to Lou, listen to everybody, but own that you have the responsibility to think for yourself and to um, do everything you can to protect the future that you want your children to live in. Because otherwise these globalist, um, extremely high net worth individuals are going to put your children in the position of being indentured servants. And it's kind of the final game here. It's the time that we all have to stand up and, and fight if we want to be independent. And if we want our children to live in a world, anything like the one that we've enjoyed. Well said. Dr. Robert Malone, we thank you for being with us again. Always great to talk with you. I've enjoyed it immensely. 
Uh, and I, I look forward to our next discussion. And thank you for all you're doing to raise the the body of public uh, public knowledge, uh, because we we don't have uh, much much longer, I believe, uh, to uh, to win this uh, this great battle. Well, I'm just following in the footsteps and standing on the shoulders of giants like yourself, Lou. So thank you for all you've done for decades to kind of break the ground here. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. If you want to send your thoughts about today's show, subjects, and guests, our email is lou at loudobs.com. That's lou at loudobs.com. And to follow me on Twitter and Truth Social, go to at loudobs. That's at loudobs on Twitter and Truth Social. Tomorrow, our guest is Congressman Greg Stubbe, great American. He's in the fight to drain the swamp and to save the republic as the Republicans battle the rhinos for leadership of the House GOP conference and ultimately the speakership. Congressman Greg Stubbe here with us tomorrow. Please join us. Until then, thank you, God bless you, and may God bless America.